This podcast is recorded and produced on Gadigal land as well as other parts of Australia. In the spirit of reconciliation, Women's Agenda acknowledges the traditional custodians of country nationwide and their connections to land, waters and community. We pay our respects to Elders past and present and recognise that sovereignty was never ceded, always was and always will be Aboriginal land. You're listening to Fertility Unfiltered, a Women's Agenda special podcast series supported by Jenea Fertility. Through this series, we aim to break down common misconceptions, shatter stigmas and provide a platform for those whose voices have been silenced. We'll challenge society's limited understanding of fertility, amplifying stories that celebrate the beauty of diverse paths to parenthood. I'm your host, Tyler Lambert. When I began my journey to starting a family, I encountered something that made me feel anxious, afraid and alone. But I've realised now there are many women, men and hopeful parents going through what I did. It could be you right now. So in this episode and the next, we're going to take a closer look at infertility and the options you have going forward. According to a recent Australian study, one in three IVF cycles undertaken by couples trying to conceive are due to male infertility or a combination of male and female infertility. Let's start with female infertility. What actually causes this? Reproductive health specialist Dr. Cheryl Foire works with many women and couples struggling to get pregnant. She says there are some biological realities we're all working with. I think that people forget that age is important. And a lot of people think that age isn't important in the fertility setting because they think like egg freezing or IVF can overcome the age-related decline in egg quality and quantity. Unfortunately, that's not true because our biology is sort of stuck into how your ovaries function. And we can't prolong biological age even with the new technologies that we've got at our disposal. I think it's really important from that perspective to have it open, to know that there is a finite time for female fertility especially, and that despite the great technology we've got currently, we're still having to work with biology and how we're losing eggs each month as a woman. It's also important to make sure that women understand that it's not an easy journey at the best of times, and that as a couple, that each person should be able to be very supportive of each other to be able to open that conversation up. So here's the thing. Technology has come a long way and there's a lot to be excited about. But the reality is none of it guarantees pregnancy. The best we can do is get as much information as possible to make an informed decision about your next steps. I've got lots of patients that see me that say, look, I go to the gym, I'm really healthy, you know, I'm feeling really great. But that doesn't reflect the age of your ovaries. And that's the important factor in that gym age isn't always equivalent to your biological age or your egg age. And that's an important concept to grasp because I think when we were growing up, we sort of focused a lot on contraception, sex education, and fertility sort of a bit by the wayside because people never thought that it would be a problem for them. But as society changes and as we sort of get more education for our women, increasing in people wanting to focus on their careers, have meeting the right partner, setting up a family, or even deciding where to live in expensive Sydney. And all of that's just delayed childbearing. And those misconceptions are sort of almost not taught to us very well when we're sort of 15 or 16 in high school. And that's led to this dearth of information about women's fertilities and the impact of age on it. It's a bit like the contraceptive revolution and sex education in schools from before, but the same needs to happen for fertility. I think the important thing is to be empowered with knowledge In the general health and well-being, women need to remember to keep fit, have vitamins, for example, prenatal supplements, eat healthy, 
don't binge drink alcohol too much, <laughs> but also empowering themselves with knowledge and assessing their fertility at a time in which they think that they might be wanting to start a family and not wait till they've been trying for two, three, four years before seeking help. And that can just be like talking to your friends, colleagues, family members, or even just talking to your GP for fertility checkup, just to see where you're at in terms of you and or your partner. However, it is that you're thinking of starting a family because it might be difficult to pinpoint exactly when the right time is to start a family because what is practical and what is the best time might never come up in somebody's planning of the future. And so it's important to just know what the risk factors are for fertility challenges and if there's anything in a particular patient's history that might mean that they might have to consider readjusting the paradigms and frameworks around when they would start a family to bring that forward or if they're all right to keep waiting to when they wanted to start a family. Aside from age, there are some other things that can cause problems for you as a woman trying to get pregnant. In females primarily, till we look at sort of organ issues or structural issues like the ovary, in which things like hormonal imbalances can cause problems with releasing an egg or ovulation, leading to issues with pregnancy. There's also might be issues with the cervix or mucus production at the time. And therefore, it might mean that the sperm isn't as readily able to pass through it to get to the egg. Some women might also experience tubal dysfunction or problems with the fallopian tubes in which they might be blocked. And also some other women might have scarring in the womb or the home in which, which the embryo has implanted, thus preventing pregnancy. Other causes include things like endometriosis, which is an inflammatory condition that can affect egg quality as well as implantation. Genetic issues, autoimmune or immune factors also play a role and we're getting more and more understanding of that in this day and age. More importantly, lifestyle factors are very important now as women are getting older when they're starting their family and also things like obesity and general health problems are increasing as well and that all leads to difficulties in conceiving. A lot of this might be hard to process. As someone who's experienced fertility challenges, it can be daunting to hear anything that dims your hope of having a baby. The great thing is you don't have to navigate this journey alone. In fact, Dr. Foix suggests building a good network of people around you including healthcare practitioners and other women or couples who are on a similar path. If choosing a fertility specialist has been adding to your overwhelm, I've got something that can help. Head to episode one of this podcast for a handy checklist on selecting the right doctors for your unique needs. A lot of women sort of feel really stigmatised and shy to discuss these issues because nobody talks about it. All I say to my patients the first time is don't listen to your friends that said they fell pregnant within one month of trying because that hardly ever happens. Nobody talks about how difficult it is and what a roller coaster journey fertility challenges are. And I think most of my patients and friends that have gone through this journey would have felt defeated at least once in their journey. The fertility journey in itself and even egg freezing, it's a roller coaster ride for everyone involved in the situation, whether or not it's you know you and your partner, a donor, etc. Emotionally, physically, financially, as well as sort of exhausting all around. And it's important to make sure that you identify that and seek help early if possible. Keeping perspective is also very important. And other things like mindfulness, yoga, acupuncture that I find can be helpful for people to try to keep a balanced view. And finding a healthcare that's provider that suits your needs and is able to understand where you're at your certain time point of your fertility journey is really important so that you're both aligned with what the end outcome is. Don't forget that there's always counselling and other support networks available to anyone who's going through this process at the moment. And there's many ways of approaching this. Some people don't feel comfortable 
with releasing too much information in the beginning and that's totally fine. Some people need to talk about it to feel better. Again, totally fine. But just make sure that you are aware and you've got a support network around you. Friends, family, your fertility specialist, the counsellor, engineer, or your fertility provider, podcasts, social media, or social networks. All of these are really important to make sure that you're getting sort of support throughout this potentially long journey for some patients. Touch base with other people going through the same journey as you at the moment. We've got a counselling service provided here at Janea for people accessing treatment to sort of take them through this big roller coaster journey that's physically, financially, emotionally exhausting on all fronts for both partners in the relationship. There's also a fertility advisor here at Janea that people can touch base with if they're feeling a little bit uncomfortable about seeing their GP, for example, or straight up seeing a fertility specialist, there's an advisor that takes it down one step so that you're feeling a little bit more comfortable to explore options. It's not that if you see someone for help that they'll immediately shunt you towards something like IVF. There's a lot of conversations to be had before taking that plunge. One of these conversations may be with your employer as having a supportive workplace can make a world of difference as you look to grow or start a family. It may be worth discussing work adjustments early on as you have room to attend necessary appointments and take treatment while continuing to stay productive professionally. Also, I think it's important that workplaces are more supportive of women and of couples starting a family. So I know for a fact that like Westpac, for example, they're now offering more leave associated with fertility treatments over and above someone's sick leave because they understand how tricky it is to manage these responsibilities while going through the process of trying to start a family. With all of this in mind, let's take a look at some of the incredible advancements in reproductive technology and what they mean for you and the fertility challenges you may be facing. Egg freezing is now mainstream, it's on the market. We know that eggs survive coming out of the freezer really, really well. And increasingly, even though there's still a very small proportion of women currently who come back to use their eggs, they're all safe in the freezer for now. And we're seeing an increasing number of women come back in time to use their eggs to start their family. Other promising developments in the IVF field or fertility field are things like what's called in vitro maturation, where instead of giving women hormones to blast their ovaries to get mature eggs, we're able to get that in a more gentle manner to retrieve eggs and then mature them or grow them in the lab to a time where they can be fertilized and form an embryo. In the women with premature menopause or who've gone to their egg pool too early, there's also emerging evidence to suggest that some special techniques for surgical techniques or some infusions underneath the cortex of the ovary can be helpful in this women to try to wake up some of the sleeping follicles to see if we can even get a chance for them to have a biological child. From a lab perspective, artificial intelligence in terms of selecting the best embryo to put back to try and shorten women's fertility journeys, especially in the IVF setting, has shown to be a bit promising. Women born without a uterus, there's now uterine transplants that's happened in New South Wales in two big centres, so that's really promising for those women who want to carry a pregnancy. And on the subgroup of women who've got what's called recurrent pregnancy loss or miscarriages, recurrent embryo transfers and they're not pregnant, immune therapies have also become more and more researched overseas internationally in order to try and see in the small subset of women that are finding it difficult to conceive even the best embryos put back, whether or not there's anything else that we can find in order to try and improve their chances of success. It's really exciting to know these technologies are being developed and that no matter how unique your fertility challenges are, there may be hope. One huge advantage for anyone trying to complete or start a family today is the information at your disposal. 
In fact, Dr. Foix says young women are more in control of their fertility now than ever before. But with many wives' tales still lingering around, it might be wise asking the doctor how much truth there is to some of these. A common one I hear is that certain sex positions can boost your chances of getting pregnant. Oh, and after the deed, don't forget to lay on your back with your legs up to help that sperm get the touch down. The old wives' tales are pretty um, sort of hilarious at the best of times, but there's been no scientific evidence to suggest any particular position during intercourse will help conceive a boy or a girl baby or even just try help conceive in general. Also, no evidence to suggest that lying with the legs up in the ceiling against the wall will also help with falling pregnant. Eggs are annoyingly precious, so they only last for about 12 to 24 hours after ovulation. So we really need a pool of sperm waiting for the egg at the end of the tube in order to make sure that there's the highest chance of falling pregnant. And from sort of a scientific perspective, apps are now fairly accurate. They've got kits that you can buy, the urine test kits, as well as things like the Mira Fertility app that tries to give more of a quantification about your hormone levels in the urine to be able to try and pinpoint ovulation. But regular intercourse, making sure that investigations are done early to check for things like tubes being blocked and that there's enough sperm to get up there, all of these things have been shown from a scientific perspective to be helpful versus which position and what time of the day or spring versus summer. <laughs> Good to know, Dr. Foie. Well, what about the one about having sex closer to the day of ovulation and that it can boost your chances of having a boy? No, not from as far as I can gather. And people worry, right? They're like, oh my God, should I do it every day? Will I run out of sperm? No. <laughs> answer, short answer is no. We sort of like every second day just because I want a pool of sperm waiting at the end of the fallopian tube for when the egg pops up. And so we need a reservoir there waiting for the egg so it can surround it and hopefully one strong sperm can penetrate the shell of the egg. But doing it every day, you're not going to run out of sperm, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> That's a relief. There's a lot we've covered in this conversation, but when it comes to infertility, this is just part of the story. In the next episode, we're going to explore male infertility, what causes a low sperm count, and if there are any lifestyle changes he could be making to turn things around. All aspects of fertility is very much stigmatised. Female fertility is only now coming a bit more towards sort of, you know, more into the light and mainstream media because of all these celebrities and social media personalities talking about egg freezing, etc. With the males, it's even more stigmatised because unfortunately, lots of people think that, oh, you know, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with me. There's no issues with the sperm count, but we know that it, it accounts for a significant proportion of fertility troubles in a couple. And with our lifestyle changes, increasing fast food intake, increasing challenges with BMI, it also affects males, their hormone profiles and their sperm count and health of sperm. So that's important to remember that the male is one half of the equation. The female provides the egg, but we need sperm from the males. And so it's really important to also bring the partners to the appointments, chat to the GPs, do an early check to make sure that there's nothing else that we can be sort of reversing at the time so that we're not sort of wasting time and assuming that it's all on the female. Before we wrap up this episode, there's one more thing I want to point out. When I was experiencing fertility issues before my firstborn, I struggled to feel really seen and understood by my GP. If you've been feeling like that too, get a second opinion. Dr. Foix says it's crucial you do this before it's too late. I've got patients that can't see their regular GPs because they don't believe in egg freezing still to this day and age, which I think is, I think is a little bit unfortunate that knowledge and that sort of, you know, development in science hasn't been so widely shared that people don't realise it's a viable option. 
So I think it's important that if, if you're not feeling hurt by a GP or anybody else, that you sort of seek a second opinion or at least sort of go online, figure out what else is there to be available for because this goes in with all of women's health and fertility. Endometriosis, for example, there's an average three-year delay before the women are diagnosed with it. Very likely because as a young girl, you go and see your GP, you say you've got painful periods, like, don't worry, it's normal, just leave it. And then people go away and not worry about it. But the problem is that when they come back later on, this could impact their fertility and also cause them debilitating symptoms moving forward. And all of that could potentially be mitigated if they were aware that this potentially could be a problem or a potential underlying diagnosis. It doesn't mean that they need to have surgery or, you know, big things to fix it. But it's more that, okay, I've got pain. I may have endometriosis. Let's just manage the pain for now. But if and when I'm deciding to fall pregnant, I'm going to seek help a bit sooner just in case this might impact it as well. Because little things add up. And, you know, if the sperm count is a bit low, there's a little bit of endometriosis, you're a little bit older, all of these add up in terms of delaying the chances of falling pregnant. And then that becomes a bit tricky if you're coming two years after you've started to try, especially for your first baby. And all of these things sort of, I think are important to empower people with knowledge and the education around fertility and causes of infertility is really important from that perspective. I think it's really important that people sort of try not to think, oh yeah, no, we'll be right, we'll be right. If you think that your GP or your health care provider isn't listening, it's important to then seek help sooner rather than later because I'd rather my patients be armed with information even if the information means everything is great, keep trying. There's reassurance on that, sort of with that knowledge to know that there is time, there's no need to worry versus finding out, you know, six to nine months later that we should have done this a while ago. That's just defeating on all ends. I hope this episode has equipped you with a bit more information and you feel a little more empowered in this exciting and challenging chapter of having a baby. Over the next few episodes, we'll take a closer look at male infertility, egg freezing, and how women are achieving their career ambitions while having kids. A huge thank you to our guest today, Dr. Cheryl Foy at Jenea Fertility. You can stay up to date with each episode in this series by subscribing to the Women's Agenda podcast, which you'll find on each listening platform and our website. I'm Tyler Lambert. I'll see you next time.